When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, Her Hoop Stats fans. Welcome back to another episode of the Her Hoop Stats podcast, Unplugged. This is the more lo-fi counterpart to our Monday podcast hosted by John Little. I'm Megan Gower, and we're back again this week, joined by Aaron Barsley. Hi, Aaron. How you doing? Good. How are you? I am excited. It's uh, you know been a busy week for you, right? You put out the Power Rankings article yesterday. Here we are doing the podcast. I've got you working on a top secret article that I'm really excited <laughs> about. Shout out to uh, Jacob Mox for doing the first half of the work and uh, looking forward to you, to, to you carrying it over the finish line. But uh, yeah, it's a good night. Two national games on TV right now. The um, Mystics, I guess, are... Definitely going to win this game here against the storm. <laughs> uh, it's about nine fifty one Eastern. Uh, if you want to synchronize your watches, and uh, yeah, doing well. Yeah, it looks like the Sparks Dallas one is closer than the Mystics one, and in the opposite direction of what I would have expected. Mm. Um, so yeah, just wanted to keep an eye on. All right. So speaking of Dallas, by the way, we had some, I guess, a little bit of drama in the WNBA this past weekend. Um, caught quite the media attention i don't know fortunately or unfortunately depending how you look at it um but for those of you that aren't tuned into what happened at the phoenix dallas game this past weekend a uh, bit of a fight broke out involving Brittany griner christine Nigue, and i think kayla thornton as well as some other players off the bench um so the WNBA NBA this week handed out some suspensions as a result of that event. Uh, Griner got three games, and then Anigwe and Thornton on the wings got two games apiece. Any thoughts on how that was handled or the fairness of the suspensions? No, I do, but to. I want to hear your thoughts first. Uh, I don't know. I thought the suspensions were fair. Um, 
I think that it made sense that Griner got more games than the other two because she did, you know, kind of chase Nigue down the court. So that definitely escalated it. Did though you really I do think so though. I'm gonna interrupt you there because okay. that was kind of one of my takeaways was I wasn't really sure that she did deserve more. Um, I probably have some potentially contrarian takes on this as well, but but that was one where I just you know, it didn't really feel like it was that much worse. You know, they each sort of escalated it in their own special way. That is true. Yeah. I guess just from like a watching it some perspective, like it was really physical underneath. And I think Aniko definitely did throw the first hit. Um, but I think the grinder, like chasing her down the court kind of escalated it further where it seemed like other people were backing off after that. But yeah. Yeah, maybe. The one thing that, you know, I was watching the tape of that. Uh, shout out to uh, Diana Taurasi's bun, uh, which <laughs> had a gif of that on Twitter and a couple other angles as well. I think it was a Matt Ellen Tuck's article. Um, the one thing I realized, though, and it sort of speaks to, you know, some of the challenges of the coverage, I really wanted to see the reverse angle of what happened because yeah. I couldn't quite decide yeah, and I saw one reverse angle on Twitter, but it was after, um, I think basically when they were holding Griner back. Uh, I couldn't quite decide if Griner's elbow caught Enigwe in the face, sort of as, you know, it was definitely a basketball play, but, you know, mm-hmm. she had her elbows up boxing out and she either hit her like very high in the chest, just below the neck, or might've caught, you know, caught her with her elbow on the chin. And so, I, I mean, I know there's been a lot of history there, but it felt like Enigwe reacted to that by yanking on Griner, and then Griner reacted, and kind of everything, you know, all hell broke loose from there. So I'm, that was kind of my one thing I was wondering. I wasn't a hundred percent convinced that it was all Enigwe. Yeah, I would agree. It was definitely really physical underneath there, and I really only saw the one angle on replays on twitter so it's kind of hard to tell from one angle there's always yeah i mean she definitely overreacted by yanking on on Mm -hmm. her arm or whatever but you know that grinder reacted you know you know there was an escalation in each reaction i thought agreed agreed yeah you know sorry go ahead I thought the thing that was interesting was that, like, it probably could have been avoided if the refs had just called literally anything from, like, there was definitely a series of fouls in that, like, kind of contention underneath the basket. So if anything had been called, it probably would have avoided the whole scene in general. Yeah, right. And they're talking about the history of the previous games. I saw the picture that um, Vince Kozar tweeted out from an earlier Dallas Mercury game. I believe um, showing uh, I forget who it was hanging on Griner. So, you know, you could see the story mm-hmm. from both perspectives. Um, but yeah, so my one kind of takeaway on the suspension was I was a little surprised that they didn't end up kind of matching at the top, either three and three and two and two. The Griner got the worst of it from a suspension perspective. Um, obviously, her comments are really interesting and it's sort of an interesting position you know, if she ends up sort of threatening the league, like don't suspend me too much or I might uh, not play next year, right? There's sort of weird incentives uh, on that front as well. So so I found that part, just kind of the dynamics of that fascinating. You know, also I remember Michael McCann uh, from Sports Illustrated, who's an, you know, an amazing writer about sort of the legal issues and things like this, did a really great story about Rakina Williams. And so he did the analogy to, uh, the suspension she got uh, for the domestic violence, I guess, allegations, we should probably still call them at this mm-hmm. point, um, and comparing that to some previous 
somewhat similar incidents in the NBA. And so it is interesting to think of this as sort of a, the equivalent of like a seven or eight game NBA suspension for Griner, which, you know, does feel a little bit um, long to me um, from sort of my NBA world. I will say, I don't, the other thing that's kind of striking to me about it, or one other thing that's kind of striking about it is I don't feel like we have great benchmarks, right? Where we can say, oh, these are the, or at least I haven't seen as enough of them. Maybe I need to do more research about like, oh, this is kind of what it's cost in the past. We kind of have this expectation that if you do this on the court, you're going to get a two game suspension. If you do this, you're going to get a three. It's going to be interesting to see if that kind of comes up in the CBA uh, negotiations as well after the season. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, there's not, at least I don't know of anything at least either to like really benchmark it against. So it is an interesting thought. Um, I think one of the most interesting parts of this is like the implications for Phoenix, uh, because obviously not having Brittany Griner on the court when they already don't have Diana Taurasi on the court is a huge loss for them, especially when they're in a position where they're kind of sitting on the line of that, you know, final playoff position and trying to secure that in the next couple of weeks. So any thoughts on what this could mean for them in terms of that? Yeah, no, it definitely has some implications, right? They're playing the sun today, right. but then I think the next two games in the suspension are both against teams that are currently out of the playoffs, the bottom mm-hmm. four. Uh, so, you know, it should not sabotage their chances too much, but, you know, I think we'll talk a little bit as well about kind of the standings and, and what we're thinking about the league in general. But I mean, there's no doubt, I mean, that, they are, you know, it's going to hurt them in position, you know, at the same time, there are four games up in the loss column on the fever for the last spots. I think they're definitely going to make the playoffs at this point or pretty, pretty likely to mm-hmm. um, with just about 10 games left. And so, you know, really it has to do with seating and who their matchups are. And I think so much is in flux in the five, six, seven, eight group that um and as well as the one two three four group that it's not going to be tremendously impactful even if this forces them to into the eight spot rather than say seven yeah agreed yeah i think barring anything crazy happening they're still probably going to get that eighth spot but you know it's definitely something to keep an eye on um like you said they yeah they're playing connecticut tonight so i think a game they would be kind of expected to lose either way though connecticut is on a bit of a loss streak so hopefully it should be a good game to watch tonight. But yeah, the next two are Atlanta and New York. So games we would expect Phoenix to win, but hopefully, or for their sake at least, hopefully not having Griner won't impact that because um, those are important games for them to win coming down the yeah, stretch. I'm impressed you didn't say uh, hopefully Connecticut will get the win there. I thought you were going to <laughs> Well, up. I mean, I am hoping they'll get the win, but <laughs> that's what I mean. <laughs> Yeah, it should be an interesting game. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It'll be interesting to see um, how they handle it. You know, a lot of teams, when they have uh, adversity like this, step up. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to ask you about for your um, reaction was there was definitely some feedback and some bitterness, I thought, over Twitter. Maybe that's the right word. Maybe not. Um, that, um, you know, essentially there was a theme of like, the only time the league is covered is when there's a fight or something like that. Did you see any of that yeah, kind of sentiment some of that on the weekend? And yeah, I thought it was interesting that kind of not so much that like the fight was being covered by the outlets that are covering the W all season long, but there is, I think, a handful of national outlets that don't really cover the W that just picked it up because of the fight. I don't know. I kind of go slightly by like any attention is good attention, but at the same time, it's always 
like doesn't leave the best taste in your mouth to see you know just something that's got kind of a negative angle being covered yeah i didn't really feel i mean i guess i didn't read enough of the you know like the sources that you and i follow i think are the people that traditionally follow you know you know the WNBA women's basketball so like all that coverage seemed reasonable i didn't see too many you know i'm not going to be busy reading what skip bayless has to think about you know the WNBA, and so um, i didn't really see too much that felt like it was uh kind of off but yeah it's not so much that i think that any coverage is good coverage although i guess perhaps i think that as well but i just think that it's like completely appropriate for them to be covering the fight you know if it was again if it was an nba fight you know we there'd be tons of coverage it would have been unbelievable how much coverage um that fight got so as long as the outlets are covering in a responsible way and not in some kind of purient purient however you say that uh you know like blood wrestling kind of titillation sort of thing like i think that that the, the the fight should be covered but the the real problem is the you know the good things that aren't covered as well right and so rather than focusing on like why are they covering the bad stuff um you know it's like hey how can we get them to also cover the good stuff right um you know sort of transition from Brittany Griner in a fight to just how dominant she is or you know or something like that I don't know so I'm not totally sure what I think of that but uh take but in general like I think it's totally fine for them to cover it I just wish they would cover it the other time yeah, I would agree with that. Um, so that was, yeah. So anyhow, so that was kind of one thing that I, uh, you know, definitely thought about it. Okay. So in other hot topic W news this week, um, there's been a lot of commentary, different articles coming out, um, the rookie for the year race kind of heating up um, going into the last few weeks of the season here. So I'm curious what your initial thoughts are on, you know, who's in the lead for that and who's going to take home that award this year. Yeah, no, I saw that um, Drew wrote an article today on W Insider. I think that, you know, Dallas is clearly uh, making a push uh, for Arike's candidacy. I think there's no doubt that uh, Arike and, uh, you know, Nafisa are in the lead for that. And I think absolutely the consensus is that Nafisa is the current leader and i think that she's likely to win it um and i think that's pretty fair um you know i was looking at some numbers about that though and i think it's pretty interesting that if you really look at it since um you know essentially july 1st you know they played the same number of games their shooting efficiency's actually been essentially the same uh arike's uh been averaging about 0.96 points uh per scoring attempt including when she sent to the line and nafisa's only really been at point has only been at 0.97 so for all intents and purposes that's the same and arike has obviously done it on a much bigger load she scored 219 points versus the 139 that uh, nafisa has and obviously some of that is role but in general there's usually a trade-off between usage and efficiency and so the idea that arike can be similarly efficient with um, a much higher usage rate is uh pretty remarkable right with the team relying on her that much you know at the same time arike certainly has plenty to work on as does nafisa i think the part of the article sort of the way it asked was what would the roles be like if nafisa was on dallas and arike was on minnesota which i think is an interesting question um you could actually i think argue that they might fit 
better on their current teams than either of them would fit if they flipped, right? Um, that you know, I'm not sure whether I think Nafisa could carry the off the offense to the degree that Arike uh, is, and similarly, you know, whether Arike could seamlessly fit in with the uh, other veterans on Minnesota. You know, Nafisa has such a smooth game, but I do think for me, you know, ultimately it is a year long award and you can't only say since july 1st because like june and the end of may does count and so you look at the whole season you know rike has definitely been less efficient than nafisa now you could still argue that's with a lot more volume i actually think that it's so so as a result i think it's pretty likely that nafisa is going to win even though rike is clearly building her case and the, the more this continues at the current rate the closer she's going to get I think, though, it's actually going to be really fascinating to ask the question, who's going to be a better you know, sophomore? Who's going to have a better second year? Who, you know, if you could redraft them at the end of the season, you know, would you take Nafisa ahead of Arike? I think that's far less clear cut if Arike is, um, you know, playing more efficiently the way she has been of late. Yeah, I would agree with all that. I think the point you made at the end is important, right? It is a full year reward. It's not just since... July 1st. Um, yeah, I had pulled some of the numbers earlier, too. And I think on the like whole year, Nafisa is averaging like 1.09 points for scoring attempt, while Arike is at about 0.91. So it's definitely a significant difference there. Um, so yeah, you do have to look at that full year picture. And then I also always like to look at the wind shares. And Nafisa's just a ways ahead on that one. I think she's at 3.1 win shares for the season, which is first among all rookies, where Ukumbola is around uh, 0.9. So definitely a difference there yeah, as shout well. Shout out to uh, Basketball Reference. I'm looking yes. forward to when we have WNBA stats up on uh, her hoop stats and uh, including win shares. But uh, yeah, that's important. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I thought that was interesting. I don't know. To me, I think it's interesting that like we've kind of narrowed it. If we're going to talk about like candidates for Rookie for the Year, Right now, to me, it's like Nafisa's award to lose, right? I think she definitely is the front runner. If you look at the full picture of the year, um, I think she has the best case by far. But if we're going to bring extend it down to a, a Gumbawale, I think you also have to include Tierra McCowan in the conversation, too. I don't know. I think that's something that's kind of been um, not as popular of an opinion of other people, I guess. But if you look at McCowan's win shares, I think she's actually second in win shares per 40 for um, rookies and she's leading them in rebounds and in blocks so a different game right because she's playing like a five compared to Nafisa playing like a three four and uh, I playing point guard but still for what she's expected to do at her position is also someone that since kind of July and she's adjusted to the league is really excelling for Indiana as well. Oh, no, that's a great point. I've always loved uh, McCowan. She's, you know, was amazing in college. And it's, you know, pretty impressive that, not shocking, but pretty impressive she, what she's been able to do kind of in the interior uh, here in the W this first season. Agreed, agreed. So, yeah, Megan, that's a good point uh, about the rookies. Um, and, you know, we've been writing our rookie reports. We're a little behind on that. I'm hoping we'll get a couple more out, uh, both sort of a rookie ranking and an MVP article, uh, you know, at least maybe one more over the course of uh, the regular season. But we did have an article uh, that you put out, as I sort of mentioned earlier. Uh, you put it out yesterday, right, with your latest power <laughs> rankings. I see that uh, Connecticut is no longer number one on your list. Uh, I'm wondering, I think last week you said your predicted finals was what, Connecticut versus L.A., right? Mm -hmm. Am I remembering that correctly? 
DFBOR. I don't know. I don't. Would you like to change that vote now or no? No, I'm still not changing it. I don't know. It would be interesting to see how this game for Connecticut goes tonight. Um, I don't know. Their season's been full of streaks. Like they started off on quite the win streak, and then they went on that five-game slump, and then back on another long win streak. So, as a fan, I'm hoping that this does not turn into another five-game slump. But we shall see. Yeah. Well, hey, they're winning. Uh, it's twelve to six right now. <laughs> uh, so uh, you know, it's about five minutes left. A little more than five minutes. So I think at that pace, it's going to be what like. Um, 9648 or something so that'd be good for Connecticut yeah. they can, uh, <laughs> I don't think we can it. quite make that much of a jump but yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> and I will say I do think it's good that you're not swinging too far every game I think that's definitely something we always talk about on the slack uh, is I think that you know if your opinion about Connecticut is X and then they lose a game it should still basically be X maybe a little bit lower you know the real question is you know is it 1% lower 2% lower <laughs> or more and so uh, I'm I'm glad you're you're not uh, blowing with the wind, right? That's usually the sign of a bad uh, assessment if you're swinging too far. Um, I of course still am high on the Mystics, and um, you know feeling good about that. You finally have them number one. I was intrigued. You have the Aces though below the Sun still, <laughs> even though and you know what stat that I care about? They're half game back, sixteen and eight versus sixteen and nine ahead of tonight's game, and uh, the Connecticut's playing, and uh, but. Connecticut's got a you know net rating, a margin of victory of 3.3 points per 100 possessions, whereas the Aces are winning by six points per 100 possessions, which I think is a you know critical stat and usually more telling than record because it kind of doesn't get biased as much by the clutch. <laughs> Tell me again why you still think the Aces are behind the Sun. Does it have to do with Asia Wilson or yeah. some, an injury or something else? Yeah, the Asia Wilson injury is a huge thing. Right, their ceiling. I feel the Aces' ceiling is just not what it is with Asia Wilson on the court. If she's not on the court, it's a big impact to their game. Not that they've really shown it in their like record since she's been out, but it is still um kind of affects in those like bigger games who's I think expected to win. Without Asia Wilson on the court, I think you're gonna pick Washington or Connecticut over the Aces to win those games. Um Yeah, I do think that's fair and I think that does speak to the idea that you gotta understand what these are right and they really are in this case kind of meant to be like how good we think the teams are this week now if asia comes back i think she's talking about coming back on sunday i read right um and is looking close to full strength are you going to be ready to bump the aces ahead of the sun at that point um i think we'll have to see how the week goes and (laughs) you know who wins what but yeah possibly they have a shot at it i think if Asia Wilson is back on the court, but I won't be definitive until I see the results from the week. But right, and I don't think it's fair to expect Asia to necessarily be full strength from game one. So it's completely reasonable that she'll have a little bit of rust. But I still think that you know it does bode well for the Aces, and that's why in the long term, I still think Washington versus Las Vegas is the you know most likely final. Uh, But at the same time. Or I think that, you know, as we discussed last week, there's still plenty of room for other teams, uh, including Sparks, right, as the current uh, leader kind of separating themselves for that fourth spot. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think if it is a Washington-Vegas final, it'll be really interesting. You're going to have Washington, which is the team with the best offensive rating in the league by far, but their defensive rating is less than stellar and then you've got vegas which has the best defensive rating in the league by far so two very different styles of play so it'd be a very interesting matchup 
Yeah. And so going to what we said before, that kind of fits in nicely with a segment that you had mentioned you wanted to talk about today, which is kind of games that we're excited about for the rest of the season. Um, you know, it's funny that you asked that because the big event on the NBA side is that they announced the schedule for 2019-20 uh, season. I'm, I'm actually very eager to uh, learn more about how they build the schedule for the WNBA. I think there's a lot of fascinating questions there. Uh, my friend Howard Beck did an amazing podcast uh, with Evan Wash, and I forget the name of the other person that's kind of the leader in terms of coordinating the NBA schedule. And I think they do use a similar technique the similar program for the w with all the different constraints and balancing them but so i heard um a podcast today chris vernon uh, a friend of mine uh who works at the now works at the ringer in addition to the work he does in memphis was asking about like what would be the games that they could get tickets to any game in the nba season that uh they would want to watch you know things like Kawhi's debut debut in la and things like mm -hmm. that and so my question to you would be you know what are the remaining games that like if i just said hey you could have three tickets to you know any games that remain this season what would those be yeah so i've got three of them for you the first one is oh, probably not so much a big deal in terms of um, like playoff contention but we've got on august 20th minnesota at la which is only the second kind of meetup for those two teams so far this season there's still two more to come um but that's just like always a great rivalry a lot of fun to watch um la got the win the first time around but it'll be interesting to see that was towards the beginning of the season so it'll be interesting to see kind of who gets the win on that one and then there's an out i don't, didn't realize this when i was picking them but there's definitely an la theme to my picks because my other two were the sun at la and then la at the mystics because we just haven't seen a full strength la team against like the top teams yet since candace parker has been back they haven't played anyone in that top four other than i think they played the aces but um they didn't have asia wilson in that game so it's not like the full top strength team so um yeah excited and i think shanae also didn't play that game so excited to see you know kind of the full stardom of the la sparks against two of the top teams in the league Interesting. Yeah, I have a few Sparks uh, games on my list, but you didn't mention the one that I think sort of is most important for our power rankings, right? Even if we're kind of watching to see how Asia looks when she comes back next week, the big game that I would love to go to that you actually could go to, right, is on August 23rd, the Aces are at the Sun. That's a game on NBA TV um, at a reasonable hour on the East Coast, a little early uh, in Las Vegas. But, uh, I mean, I think that's going to be really crucial and, you know, a real chance for the Aces to potentially kind of really show that they should be kind of considered the second best team in the league. It'll be an interesting situation. Uh, Asia should have had some time to, round, again, round back into form. Um, you know, obviously, there's been a lot of news this week about Cambage and some of the challenges she's been facing in her personal life. And, you know, you could definitely see some of that um a little bit over all-star weekend i'd heard some kind of scuttlebutt just that uh you know it's so draining for everyone right not just mm -hmm. her and so you know when she took had those two dnp i guess dnp mental health as she said in the player's tribune article um you know you kind of wonder what was going on but i was watching earlier this week and you know definitely looking energized uh on the floor i thought it seems like it did her well you know hopefully she's gonna be able to stay in a good place 
for the rest of the season. And then I think if she, you know, really is, that just kind of can unlock the aces to uh, another level. Agreed. And I think also for the aces, it's been interesting that I think a lot of their other players have really stepped up with the absence of Asia Wilson. So if you bring in Asia Wilson, plus all those players that have kind of stepped up their games in the last couple of weeks, they can definitely be in contention for that second spot in the league, I think. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, ultimately, I think it's also fascinating just the way the matchups go, right? That there's really no one. I mean, do you feel like John Cole Jones is really well set up to cover uh, Cam Beige when Cam Beige is really in her most dominant form? I don't think anyone's well set up to cover Cam Beige when she's in her most dom- dominant form. Well, I mean, yeah. I, get like... I mean, no, I don't think so. So it'll be interesting. <laughs> Yeah, each team has their kind of their own weapons or whatever. So I think it's really going to be interesting to see how the matchups go. Agreed. So anyhow, so Ace's Sun was on my list. I guess, yeah, um, you know, I was just kind of writing down some games I thought was interesting. I do have three uh, Sparks games that are going to be fascinating to follow over the course of the season. But then I'm also interested in seeing Ace's Mercury on the last uh, day of the season. I was looking at the schedule. um, So I believe the last, unless I misread this, I believe the last day of the regular season is September 8th, which is a Sunday. That's it. All the teams are playing at four Eastern, one Pacific. So that's kind of cool. Um, with one of the games on ESPN. I hope ESPN is going to do whip around coverage. I do believe, though, that that is going to be up against from a rating standpoint, unfortunately. I'm pretty sure that's going to be the opening uh, weekend of the NFL, if I'm not uh, crazy. I didn't look that up. And I bet it's also going to be against the men's U.S. Open final. So not, unfortunately, a, a good time, I think, for a big number in terms of getting casual sports fans that might want to watch the exciting part of the the most exciting part, really, WNBC. But I think there's going to be a lot of good games. I think Aces and Mercury in particular, you know, as we talked about, could have some real implications for both teams and far as far as their final playoff seed, which, as you know, um, you know, if the Aces are playing for a double buy, that would be huge. Um, you know, if the Mercury can make a little run between now and then and, you know, get up from eight to seven to six, you know, that would be pretty impressive as well. So um, I think that's going to be an exciting week, uh, exciting day of games. And I think that game in particular is the one I'm most excited about. Agreed. Curious what you think about like having them all at 4 p.m. Eastern. Like, how do you pick which game to watch? <laughs> I don't know that I like that. Yeah, no, I was looking at it. It says, I mean, it's ES, I think it's on ESPN, I want to say two, mm-hmm. and then the rest of them are on ESPN three, but I think they're going to do it like uh, the first round of the tournament, I would hope. And, um, you know, have some kind of the whip around looking at one of the games gets exciting. I mean, I do think you got to do it that way. Again, you know, I probably talk about my NBA perspective way too much, but the NBA, you know, does the same thing because you don't want to be in a situation where a team can have an advantage if one of them starting at three mm-hmm. and the other are at four or you know or someone yeah. starting at five or six and they know what happened and have an opportunity to rest their players so i think from competitive balance it's smart True. to play them all uh, at the same time i just again to me the biggest takeaway is i wish there was a way to do it so that um it wasn't up against such other kind of monster sporting events like i kind of wonder could they have done it like friday mm-hmm. at 8 p.m eastern say yeah. right um and again that's probably going to be harder to do a 5 p.m you know, let's just say a 5 p.m. start at Staples Center. I forget right. um, what the Sparks are doing that weekend. But, um, you know, I think then, you know, because there's, not, I guess it'll be college football game that day probably, but I don't think the NFL will be playing on Friday and it won't be such a major tennis match. As I mean, there'll be, I think, in fact, the, um, I believe, I forget whether the men's semifinals will be Friday or not. Um, but uh, I've been to the US Open a couple of times, but I'm a little rusty on that. So, um, I think that, uh, 
you know, it's interesting to think about optimizing for this is the question I always have. Like when you make the schedule, should you be optimizing for TV or should you be optimizing for uh, attendance in person? So and I kind of feel like you should be optimizing for TV or maybe a little more so than we're doing today. Yeah. Yeah. An interesting lineup. I didn't think about the point though that you can't let you know other teams see what the results are ahead of time, so it doesn't make sense. But yeah, that Sunday time frame in September is a tough one. Yeah, the other thing, and again, this is my kind of NBA perspective, but there's all kinds of crazy hijinks that have happened in the NBA. People jockey for position, most notably when like they want to drop down a seed to get a specific matchup. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, I'll be, I'm not aware, you know, since I'm not as tuned into the uh, history of the WNBAs, I've uh, readily admitted before. Um, I'm not sure that that kind of thing has happened. You know, a famous NBA one is Mark Madsen. Um, I forget how many threes he took in the 82nd game one season, but <laughs> it was just a ridiculous amount. And even last year, um, Portland, I think, only played six players and rested like all their starters and all-stars. Um, and they still won. It's like they were trying to tank essentially for a lower seat to, to get the matchup they wanted and they didn't. And it ended up working out. So I wonder if... Uh, anything like that will end up happening as a team says, Oh no, I'd really like to be, I don't know, six instead of five. So yeah, seems unlikely for a variety of different reasons with the structure of the WNBA playoffs, but um, could be certainly would be entertaining. Yeah. I agree. That seems unlikely. I guess you could see it in that. Like if you know, Phoenix is your eight, but then they're going to have Tarasi back for the playoffs. Maybe you don't want to be playing Phoenix or something like that. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Exactly. Right. So, um, yeah. Right. And, you know, you know, the lead, you know, someone could have an injury in the opposite direction. Right. So that's a good point. So, yeah. So, um, so yeah, but anyhow, it's exciting. Right. I mean, it is kind of amazing, you know, in a lot of different ways. I know hopefully we've got listeners all over the country, I think. Right. So I've in the South schools already started, you know, here where I live in New Jersey, we don't start until actually a couple days after Labor Day. Um, but, you know, it's like already kind of mid August and the summer, just, you know, for better or for worse, feels like uh, it's almost over. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the benefits of that is we're what, like basically three and a half weeks. If I'm doing my math right until uh, the playoffs start, mm-hmm. I guess probably four weeks until the playoff starts um so that is going to be exciting i mean as we've talked about before it is wide open. yeah definitely exciting and exciting few weeks ahead as i try to wrap everything up and see where everything falls but yeah when i was writing power rankings on monday night i was like updating the intro and i was like wow there's really only a month left of the like regular season that's crazy <laughs> where did the summer go yeah and we're starting there there's still, you know, I tweeted out, we tweeted out on Monday, the uh, remaining strength of schedule. We're going to try and do that semi-regularly. Um, but there are still some like pretty, I was surprised at how big some of the differences are. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting. You know, that's not really for the power ranking so much because the power ranking is like who would win on a neutral court mm-hmm. today. But um, definitely it's going to be interesting to see how that impacts things. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, there are some teams that have a, definitely a tougher road ahead of them as they're jockeying for playoff positions. So. We'll definitely. Yeah. And meanwhile, I think the Mystics I saw had the easiest uh, playoff uh, or easiest remaining average opponent strength, uh, opponent winning percentage. Well, that's good for them because I think they're in a good spot to have that double buy right now. So the easier the road, the better chance they have of securing that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting if they have kind of home court throughout the playoffs. Mm-hmm, exactly. 
So we were just saying that there's only like a month left of the WNBA season, which also means that we're quickly approaching the NCAA season um, as well. I think I saw a tweet the other day that was like 12 weeks or something like that, which doesn't seem that long. So that's pretty crazy. Yeah. We retweeted someone. Yeah, it said 85 <laughs> days. I think it was like Arizona State. We've been trying to retweet some of those. And, you know, we are going to start having more college folks on the podcast as well. I don't know if you heard John's interview uh, with the Appalachian State coach uh, this week, but it was really, really good. I'd strongly recommend people listen to it. Yeah, I haven't got a chance to listen to it yet, but it is on my list of things to listen to at work tomorrow. Uh-uh. But one thing on the college side, I think my favorite tweet of the week was, um, so for those of you that weren't paying any attention to gymnastics this weekend, Simone Biles did typical Simone Biles things where she made history multiple times in a meet. I think it was two different landings she had that were like the first time she's ever did it or anyone has ever done it. And one of them was on the floor and it was a triple double. Um, and that's what it's called. I forget exactly what it is because my gymnastic knowledge is not what it could be but i think it's something like as we discussed yeah. last week right i thought it was really funny this came up after we had sort of talked about how we uh, appreciate what she does but also a little bit uh, lost yeah exactly so i think it's something like three twists with two flips or i, I don't know it is. There was this amazing um, tweet thread that I saw, and I'm embarrassed that I, fr- I think I might have sent yeah. it to you, but um, I forget who did it, but really kind of walked through the history of how you went to like, I guess like a single to a double to a, um, I don't think they called it a single double, but it's basically, a, yeah. So the double means two flips. And so first they started doing a, a single twist and then they went to the double double, which is two twists and uh, two flips. And basically they, you know, so if you watch closely, and frankly, I, it's still hard for me to see, um, but essentially you do a flip and a twist and then a flip and a twist, right? So they're kind of paired up. And so what Simone's doing now is somehow she's getting three in, so she must be doing like two thirds of a flip per twist mm-hmm. now, right? So, um, yeah, so it was, but it was a really nice thread that kind of laid out. You could sort of see them adding stuff. And they pointed out that, uh, you know, I think to go from, a single double to a double double was like 31 years or something right or no no it was that was like maybe eight years and so now to go from a double double to a triple double been like 31 yeah just insane we're literally watching her make history pretty much every time she gets on the floor it's crazy but um relating it back to what we were talking about with ncaa basketball i thought it was hilarious uh sabrina and retweeted the video i think of the landing and was like welcome to the triple double club which was an excellent tweet <laughs> um <laughs> She's great yeah, on Twitter. she's a great Twitter follow. <laughs> it's another topic we could talk about another time. Just favorite Twitter follows. Um, yes. But yeah, I thought that was one of the my favorite things I saw on the internet this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, again, there's sort of all kinds of, uh, you know, good sports on. And uh, it was a little under the radar, I think, that uh, the gymnastics stuff was happening. I didn't quite care. I guess that was the national championships or what was it? Yeah, that? I'm not exactly sure, to be honest. I think it's different than, it wasn't Worlds because I think she has to land them at Worlds for them to be officially named after her. But, so I think it might've been national. I'm yeah, know. no, I mean, it's really cool. The other thing I didn't realize that I saw on this tweet, thread, apparently she has like now four, um, 
I don't know what I'm not going to use the right phrase, but you know, basically there's four moves that are named after her. So it's like, if you just say the miles, that's, that's not enough. <laughs> you gotta, that's why it's like, Oh, is it the floors and the beams? Uh, it's pretty crazy. So, uh, but yeah, which is always fun, right? Uh, sort of moves that players have named uh, after them. So I'm looking forward to when we, someone does the, you know, <laughs> yeah, I don't really know that that translates to basketball as well. <laughs> Well, you know, there definitely are some uh, on the NBA uh, side, but I'm not really aware of any on the WNBA side. So maybe we can make that happen. I was telling you earlier. So I think we need to get more kind of moves named after people, you know, in the same way you'll hear people talk about not just moves, but also plays. The classic one being the Iverson cut, um, which a seam has uh, kind of shown in a number of the videos he's done over the course of the season when he's breaking down plays but the other thing that i think i'd like to talk about since i'm on a podcast is i think we need more nicknames right uh maybe i'm oblivious to it uh and we did have that entertaining uh twitter thread last week about uh or maybe it was two weeks ago with sky show chicago and everybody else about what people might name the uh, you know tanking for sabrina uh but we similarly also like i just don't feel like there's that many nicknames the only major one i can think of is uh mcbuckets right which is great for mm-hmm. kayla mcbride but um, like, are there other ones that I'm blanking on? I'm, I'm sure I'd love to uh, be educated on that because I'm sure there must be some. I guess I don't quite count Vanderquigs in the same yeah. way uh, as McBuckets because it's sort of more about talking to the two of them kind of as a couple. Uh, but uh, I don't know. Are there others that I'm not thinking about? Or what were your favorite maybe UConn ones? Well, I don't think. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Well, UConn ones, you got Queen Fee, which is personal favorite i'm literally sitting here in a nafisa collier jersey of course so um yeah you know do you know the story of her twitter handle pieces pieces i do not i don't know what it is but i love her twitter handle i think it's great i just yeah i don't know the story behind it it would be interesting for someone to ask though yep that's a possible story idea i'm always (laughs) thinking of uh story ideas for us to do and that's definitely one so yeah i think we need more nicknames right i mean you know there's no crazy like Canadian sensation or, you know, obviously something kind of playing off the Canada riff with like Kia Nurse or the others. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's an opportunity there for people that are, you know, I like to think I'm semi-creative, but I know that I'm not going to be as good as someone else. So that's definitely a challenge for our listeners, especially our dedicated listeners that are more than uh, 40 minutes into <laughs> yes, this episode. definitely. We would love to hear people's nicknames for WNBA players. Send them our way on Twitter. Yeah, or college, right? I think yeah. Sabrina and others are definitely uh, eligible as well. And I'm sure where there's plenty that we're just not thinking of or maybe have a little more regional mm-hmm. um kind of knowledge that we can help spread uh nationally so um yeah so that was something uh, interesting i you know you sort of talked about sort of twitter blowing up about some mobiles and sabrina um another thing i saw on twitter is kind of a theme of the week that'd be a good way to end uh the podcast today was, was people were talking about their uh biggest uh sort of greatest athletic accomplishment i think uh, kevin pelton friend of the program uh who does uh, some great work not just on the analytics side for men's basketball but also for women he worked for the storm for um, a number of years just tweeted out earlier this week his war ratings he said his greatest achievement was i think cheryl swoops picked him for her team <laughs> and pick up one, one game so i was curious like what your uh, greatest athletic achievement ever was so it is not basketball related because despite how much i like to talk and watch basketball i have no hand-eye coordination so basketball was never my strong suit um but i ran cross country in high school and i was i wouldn't say that great but i was okay and 
What was uh, your event? Cross country is just uh, one race, so it's yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah. Cross country. Uh, I yeah, did yeah. run track too. It's like what for the three point one yeah, miles. Yeah, it's a five k. Yep, so three point one miles. Okay. Um, in my freshman year, I was running in the JV race at like I think it was like conference championships or some. In my next, I don't think it was conference championships. It was some invitational type race that we ran in a bunch of those throughout the season. Um, and I was like kind of on the line of like the JV varsity for our team. So I ran in the JV race and I think I came in, was like third or fourth place, which was like way better than I had forgotten in any of these meets because there's hundreds and hundreds of people running in these races. So mm. uh, that felt pretty special. Um, so I think. Nice. Do you remember what your time I don't, was? I don't even know that it was like one of my best times, but it felt good because the place was good. <laughs> Is, is that critical in uh, cross country of the times or is it all just about jockeying um, for position? I mean, use, yeah, you base like your own performance off of your time. I think so. It is critical, but in a like head to head type race, it's more about positioning. It's about like between the two teams, like if your positions are added up, your times aren't really factored into who wins the race or who wins the meet. Yeah, no, I wasn't sure how much it varied sort of like the different marathons, right? Because Chicago, I think, is yeah. very flat. Um, yeah, I was never, I was always like super slow. So, um, I never kind of ran cross country or track. I think I'm allowed to tell the story uh, on my wife's <laughs> behalf. Um, she ran track. She did not like cross country. Um, but she, I think she ran it most seasons, but, um, and she was, you know, I think she would say she was like, you know, a good, but not great runner, but, um, she did manage to win. Uh, she ran the 800 and, and won like one meet in high school. Um, you know, she would say that's because a lot of the, the best runners are <laughs> sick or resting or something, but that, I think that might've been her, uh, crowning achievement <laughs> as well. Um, but you know, it's good, right? I never could have done that. And I didn't run much at all when i was uh in high school i played basketball but i did not run um and so but 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 i you know i've I started you know kind of running uh and biking as well um really i guess once i started getting into once i was in grad school i was in the bay area you know where it's gorgeous biking is a huge um thing that people were doing back in the 90s and i'm sure before that uh on the peninsula there near stanford and so uh, i got into biking and then uh, my greatest athletic achievement you know there's maybe there's a few to pick from uh one year at the sloan sports analytics conference i uh hit a three-pointer over bob myers the uh, gm of the <laughs> warriors um, i'm sure had he really been trying he could have blocked it no problem but i hadn't done much to deserve uh respect to that point but it was on a nice little uh, hammer play. Uh, so I was pretty pleased with that. Um, so that was definitely a, a fun moment. I played basketball when I was at MIT, but I wasn't very good. So I wouldn't say that was there, but probably my crowning, uh, my greatest athletic achievement was I got into triathlons as well as I was in grad school. And so really the pinnacle uh, of my achievement, which you would never believe uh, if you're listening, but have not uh, ever seen me in person in my uh, you know, middle ageness now, uh, but I actually did the uh, Alcatraz oh, wow. triathlon one year. So that was super fun. My wife was convinced that I was going to get hit by an oil tanker <laughs> or something that was uh, cruising through the bay because I don't stop the shipping traffic for it. Uh, and it was actually really interesting, the open water swimming there in the bay, which really leads out to the ocean. Uh, a good friend of mine was like an All-American Division Three tennis player and was like, you know, just super thin and wiry. Mm -hmm and uh super athletic and amazingly like i beat him in it uh he uh just could he was not good at the swimming at all i remember we were practicing um if ever, but you've, you've been everywhere right so you've been to just yeah, yeah, yeah. square right so that like kind of looks out over the um the uh the bay there 
And uh, so you, we were basically doing some training. We were like swimming in the marina area, essentially right off of Ghirardelli Square. So we could just get some practice being in the open water. And, you know, we're, it's, it's pretty cold, even though I'm sure it was probably August or something. And so we're in our like wetsuits. And my friend is like so in shape and so thin that we're just kind of doing laps and in our wetsuits. And finally, he just kind of like pops up and he's like, Aaron, his teeth are like totally <laughs> chattering. He's like, I can't do it. I'm like totally freezing. I'm like, what are you talking about? Uh, you know, because I obviously had a little more uh, natural <laughs> insulation than he did, let's just say. <laughs> and so um, definitely the swimming was a struggle for him. So I thought he was going to totally <laughs> catch me on the uh, run and he was much faster on the run, but he also hadn't done as much biking uh, at that point in his life as uh, I had. So that was uh, pretty fun. But yeah, no, the Alcatraz triathlon was a definite thrill. It's pretty crazy in retrospect. I can't imagine doing it uh, now that I'm an old man, but uh, that was definitely a lot of fun. And again, something people would never That's guess awesome. No, your teeth chattering story made me think of um, not an athletic accomplishment at all. But um, <laughs> so yeah, like you mentioned, I travel quite a bit. Um, and last or not last year, I think it was two years ago now, I was in Iceland. And there's a place in Iceland where the tectonic like right between where the two tectonic plates are and you can actually go mm. snorkeling there um and the water is like cleaner than you're drinking water it's crystal clear it's really cool but obviously you're in iceland so it's also freezing um yeah when oh the water's oh, no. not heated up nope. by the <laughs> how deep i guess are the plates yeah the yeah it's like a but it's like a trench basically that you can um like go snorkeling and right. was really cool experience uh, but also think i did not feel my toes for like good like four five hours afterwards <laughs> yeah oh really were you like afraid of uh, not too or worried because like i did have like a wetsuit on and like other stuff on to like protect you but yeah it's kind of crazy so, it's actually a trip that i took with my yeah. parents and i like wanted to do that the day we got there and they were like have fun <laughs> so that part i did by myself <laughs> they yeah. you off by yourself <laughs> That is funny. I man, I could talk to you about that for hours. Although I don't know that yeah. our listeners would want to hear that, but yeah, because my I did my PhD, uh, I built a seismometer, and so I ended up learning a ton about you know the tectonic plates and the ring of fire and and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I think it's really fascinating there. Definitely, yeah. Probably not what our listeners are interested in hearing about them. Yeah, I think we should probably call it a night here. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> I think that's it for tonight, guys. If you like what you've heard, please be sure to rate our podcast uh, five stars and review it on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on. Um, we really appreciate all your support and it helps uh, other people find our podcasts. Also, we are always welcoming your feedback. You can reach us at podcast at herhoopstats.com via email or on, we're on Twitter at herhoopstats. Um, feel free to DM us or just tweet at us directly. Love to hear your suggestions or anything you want to hear us talk about. We'll definitely put it on the show if you give us a suggestion. So Definitely. We need those ideas. Agreed. <laughs> It'll make my job a lot easier every week if you guys give me suggestions and I don't have to come up with the whole agenda. And then, as always, please check out the site at herhoopstats.com. And if you like the work that we're doing, uh, it's just $20 a year to subscribe and help support our team. Thanks, Aaron, for joining me again tonight. My pleasure. This is always fun. I don't think I'll be able to make it next week, but we'll have a, uh, I wouldn't even call her a special guest, but uh, I think it'll be fun to start having some other folks joining uh, Unplugged. So I'm looking forward to that. And we'll tease that as well as the uh 
exciting uh, analysis that you're doing as well. Got to we got to wrap this up. You got to do uh, the post production and release this so that we can move on to the next article. Yes, that sounds good. Thank you.